I am so encouraged that our church family takes that family dedication seriously. And I pray that you would continue to take that seriously with Titus 2 relationships, older women pouring into younger women, older men pouring into younger men, uh, a generation that's uh, gone ahead of us, passing the baton to a younger generation. There are so many ways that we could apply that idea uh, that we want to be training and equipping Christ-centered homes as a priority for our church. If you have any questions about that, you can talk to me, our ministry staff, uh, Sean and Melinda, they're all in on this idea. And so please let us know. I'm excited to pray for a friend of mine. His name is Pastor Teddy, and uh, he pastors a church plant out in uh, Gladewater, Texas, and uh, it's called Living Water Church. He sent me a note this morning telling me that he was praying I would preach full of the Holy Spirit. And I said, I can pray the same thing for you. And they're in Colossians chapter 2 uh, about being complete, which is so interesting uh, because we're going to quote out of Colossians in our sermon today as well. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I am grateful for already the celebration that we've had. And I pray, God, that you would stir in us a, a greater appreciation, gratitude for what Christ has done. That he's taken uh, us in our weakness and brokenness and sin and muck and mire and has cleaned us up, redeemed us, justified us, given us his righteousness and called us to live for your glory. Lord, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Everyone who repents and believes can have new life in Jesus. I pray today as we continue to look at Ephesians 4 and instructions here uh, for the New Testament church and how they're to grow up together into Christ who is the head, uh, that we would never lose sight of the good news of Jesus. Lord, I do pray for Pastor Teddy, and I pray, God, that he would preach here in, in, in the moment that they're gathering over in East Texas, he would preach in the fullness of the Spirit. God, that the words out of Colossians would be uh, encouraging uh, building the church together in unity, that there would be a, a sense of wanting to change and grow and burst out of their doors different than how they walked into church. God, I just pray your grace and, and, and wisdom and blessing over his life as a pastor. Uh, would you use him today in mighty, mighty ways that the brothers and sisters of Living Water Church uh, would have a sense of greater mission and greater excitement to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And that's what we pray for right here as well. Yeah, we need you. And we boldly declare that we need you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, a bit of a longer passage, but it, it's, it's the part two of last week, right? Because Paul had prayed for those saints that they would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, then they can therefore walk worthy of the calling that they've been called. And part of this walking worthy is acknowledging that Jesus has poured out his grace, has given gifts to the church, and there is a goal to continue to strive for unity. You know, gifts has me thinking, uh, many of you know this already, but some don't. Uh, a week and a half ago, I turned 40 years old. It's a weird birthday, all right? Uh, one person that I love very much, did not love what they sent, but I love them very much, sent me a text that said, your best 40 years are behind you. <laughs> well, what does that mean about my next 40 years? <laughs> right? Uh, I appreciate what one person told me this morning. They were just looking at the glass half empty instead of half full. 
I want to be a glass half full kind of guy, all right? Uh, but I got some gifts, and some bigger gifts for my family, for my wife, some strange gifts, things like you're an old man, and you're vintage now, and just things that I wouldn't normally have gotten uh, on my 40th birthday. Uh, but I say all that just to say this passage clearly explains some very interesting things about the gifts that Jesus gives to the church. And we want to walk forward understanding what that is all about and how those gifts help us pursue a greater sense of unity and building up the body and growing together under our head, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so uh, follow along with me as I read Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, knowing that it's a continuation of what's already been said in verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is growing properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A lot of scripture to handle this morning, but first off, if you're taking notes, write this down. Praise God for the grace given. That's right as our passage started there in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. And we just have to make this note that Jesus is the one giving the gifts. I got to be really clear here. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts of Christians and spiritual gifts of church members, the gifts of church leadership. That's a gift to the local church that Jesus gives. But never should we be looking at the individual that has the gift so that they would be praised. It doesn't matter if I'm a great preacher. It doesn't matter if someone's a great prayer warrior or a great evangelist or if they have uh, the true speaking spirit of an apostle. Never should we look at the one that's exercising that gift and say, oh man, they're so awesome. We should always be looking at the one that gave the gift. His name is Jesus and Jesus is so awesome, right? So we praise God for the grace that was given. It was a grace gift, unearned, undeserved. A grace gift. We learn to start by praising the one that gave the gift. Don't ever give praise to the one using the gift. So how are they given? This is so important. And it's written here uh, in a way that might be hard to understand uh, right at first blush. But Jesus, our conquering champion, has victory at his resurrection. That's how he can give gifts to men. Right? Don't, don't, don't mistake what's happening here in verse 8 and 9 and 10. There is a subtle reference there to the resurrection, maybe more than subtle, but, but uh, 
one that might be hard to understand at, at first glance. It's quoting Psalm 68, 17 through 18. Listen to what the psalmist said. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Jesus Christ is the conquering champion that led this host. Jesus is the one that led these armies. And then ultimately, this reference of he who descended was also the one that ascended far above the heavens, right? Christ in his resurrection is the conquering king. The only way that he has power to give these kind of gifts is because Jesus is our victor. Jesus is our champion. And it would be wrong for me to stand up here and preach all about spiritual gifts and, and church leaders and all those things and miss the fact that this passage is so richly about Jesus being a champion. So we praise God for the grace given. If it weren't for Christ. If it wasn't for his perfect life and death on the cross and resurrection claiming the victory, we would not have these gifts. So we praise God for the grace given. It was grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Secondly, we recognize the gifts given. And here's where, where we can walk through a bit and talk about these kinds of gifts in, in the church leadership. We remember Jesus is the one that gets the praise, Okay. But then we, we identify these gifts as twofold. One is gifts given to church leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. But another one is gifts given to church members. And we need to praise God for them both. Now, I need to be vulnerable here. It always makes me feel a little weird uh, as a church leader, as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a proclaimer of God's word to preach a passage like this. There's a couple other ones where I'm preaching through the text and I say to our church, you should be so glad that Jesus gave me to you. <laughs> right? That is not my intent at all. All right. So please hear this with a bit of humility and also the reminder that as this church is headed, uh, they voted in the bylaws before I even came. We will have a pastor team. That is one of the best applications of a pastor team is it's not just about one guy, okay? That there are shepherds given to the church to oversee the flock of God. And it's not just about one guy or one personality because there truly is a temptation for one guy in some such situations to get a little puffed out in my chest and say, I'm so great. Y'all should be thankful that I'm here, right? There will be pastors on this team of pastors that make sure they keep me humble. Right? I need a pastor. I need to submit to pastors. I need spiritual leadership in my life. And Lord willing, down the road, that's exactly where this church is headed, that it's not just about one guy. But there will be pastors that are gifted in these ways. Let's look at these giftings. Let's look at the gifts given to church leaders. There's five categories. The first is apostle. Now, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Capital A apostle should be reserved for uh, the 12 disciples, for Paul, the one untimely born. He had a face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus. He was blinded and then he was the apostle uh, who reached out to the Gentiles. I think capital A should be reserved just for the apostles in the New Testament. I never want to claim to be one of those guys, all right? 
But you can't have a lowercase a gifting of an apostle or practice the gifting of an apostle or the spirit of an apostle. And I think that's what's happening here, right? There are apostles given to the church. And typically uh, this word can, can be a description of someone who is gifted in the way to clearly communicate God's design in fulfilling the great commission or establishing a new work, right? Someone that's on the front lines of your kingdom come, your will be done. I have a friend like this. His name is Carter. And uh, man, he's worked in all places all over the world. He worked as my intern in student ministry over a decade ago. But he has this gifting. He wants to go into a place and be boots on the ground and see God's work at hand. He wants to establish churches, see churches planted. He wants to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then he exits that place and goes to somewhere else. You might know someone that's like that. You may know a pastor that's like that, that God's gifted in that way. And they go to a church and a lot of work gets done. And they train people up and then they can work themselves out of a job. It goes to a new place, right? That gifting of an apostle, someone that clearly sees God's work and is on the front lines of that kind of thing. Paul worked that way in planting churches all over the New Testament. There is this gifting that Jesus gave to the church of apostles, but there's also prophets. And similar to how we understand the word apostle, uh, that a capital A apostle should not be uh, given to anyone that's a, a contemporary leader or teacher, I think the same thing about prophets. I don't want to be a capital P prophet. We have those. Their names are Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They're the people that said, thus saith the Lord, right? When I say, thus saith the Lord, I'm quoting scripture. I'm not making up new truth, right? I would never say that I'm a capital P prophet. But at times, especially as a preacher of God's word, I want to function in the role of a prophet, I want to be a truth teller. I want to be a a truth teller that's actually um, convincing and and, and speaks with power. I think that happens with the Holy Spirit. And I want to function in that way of the lowercase p prophet. Someone who's a speaker of truth. Someone who's willing to say hard things. Old Testament prophets constantly called for God's people to repent. Someone who says repent and believe. There's greater hope and greater joy if you would submit to Christ. Right? You may know someone that, that, that walks kind of uh, with that kind of gifting or authority. I think of a, a friend of mine that's on the mission field as well, and he always speaks truth. He's got so much of God's word memorized, and it just flows out of his mouth naturally. He's always uh, running towards confrontation to speak the truth in love. By the way, that's what it says in the context here in Ephesians 4 that the whole church speaking the truth in love grows in every way into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. Apostles, new work, front lines, prophets, saying truth, being a proclaimer of hard things at times, and then evangelists. Now, this is a title specifically given to church leadership. If you want to write down uh, Acts 21, verse 8, it talks about Philip the evangelist. You can read in Acts Uh, chapter 8 about an evangelistic counter that Philip had. The Spirit said, go to this place. He's caught up and he just goes. He's done teaching about Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah 53 and he goes on and then all of a sudden, Philip is caught up again and goes back to the the booming metropolis where kingdom work is happening. Blows my mind. I, I can't imagine just transporting in the Holy Spirit. Anyone? Can anyone imagine? Did you realize that's what's happening when you read the book of Acts? 
It's pretty amazing, okay? Philip the evangelist, he's gifted in this way. He's gifted to proclaim the good news of the gospel. He's gifted to proclaim Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the one that if you turn from sin and trust in him, you can have new life. Now, amen, praise God. Here's a caveat, church. I'm just gonna take a little pause. If there are people with a specific gift of evangelism, in fact, if there are church leadership that are called evangelists, like Philip in the book of Acts, that means that when my sweaty palms start going crazy and I get nervous and I say, well, I'm not really sure that I'm good at telling people about Jesus, I'm off the hook because I'm not a quote-unquote evangelist. Let's slow down just a bit, okay? If you're thinking that way, let me just encourage you to slow your roll. You know why? Because the whole point of Jesus giving gifts of church leaders to the church is what? Chapter 4, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So even though there are some where evangelism comes more naturally, where they can engage a lost person, uh, season their words with grace as though seasoned with salt, speak true things and be compelling to represent the gospel, I do believe that it comes easier for some than others. But I don't believe that means other Christians are off the hook. You know why? Because we look at those evangelists and say, man, I aspire to be that bold with my gospel proclamation. How can you equip me, one of the saints, for the work of ministry to do that kind of kingdom work? So the apostles and prophets and evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers, the whole goal is not to prop them up because they're so amazing. The whole goal is to say, I want to learn from your example because as a church member or as a Christian representing Christ in his kingdom, I want to function in those ways too. Would you help me be equipped for the work of ministry that I see you doing so well? Does that make sense? Let's make sure that we don't fall into the temptation of thinking there are green beret Christians that are the special forces Christians and they're so good at this thing and so we're just gonna let them do all the work. Let's make sure that we are everyday Christians saying, I acknowledge there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, but I want them to equip me to do the work alongside of them. Thank you for the amens. Thank you. So, number four, this gifting of shepherds. And this term's used all throughout the New Testament. It speaks of pastors and elders, overseers. It can be used a bit interchangeably. <clears throat> Here at FBC, I've already referenced that we will have a plurality of pastors, plurality of elders that function uh, in this way. But do you know what a chief function of a pastor is? To make sure that they care and protect the sheep. Nourish and feed the sheep. Keep the sheep from going the wrong way to go the right way. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
you know, I told you there was a temptation for church leaders to be kind of put on a pedestal or puffed up to, to fall into the temptation of walking in pride or arrogance because that's a real thing, okay? It's happened in my life. It's happened in all kinds of church leaders' lives. But when you think of pastors and a pastor team, and you think of the word shepherd, that it's a gift for men to shepherd the church, I think you see it a little differently. You see it with a little bit of humility, right? Shepherds don't always smell great because they're hanging out with the sheep all the time. A good shepherd should smell like the sheep. Someone that's gifted in that capacity is a gift to the church, but it's not someone that's going to function in that kind of arrogance and pride. And someone, of course, is going to protect, like David did when he killed the, the bear right? To protect the sheep. He killed the wolf to protect the sheep, but also someone that's going to lovingly pick up a sheep that's got a broken leg and carry them through the hard time. I have no intent to embarrass this man, but just the other day, I was telling a church member how grateful I am for Pastor Mike, because Pastor Mike has this kind of humility, Pastor Mike is a man uh, that is not going to walk in that arrogance or pride, which means if he sees that in me, he's going to be the first one to say, hey, Aaron, you need to put that in check. I am grateful for your shepherding gift, brother, and it's a gift to our church, and it's a gift to me. So you have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds. The last category is teachers. And don't forget this, that if the, those that are using this gifting are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that means we shouldn't just identify teachers. We should be calling new teachers out. We should be calling new prophets and apostles out, new shepherds and evangelists out. And so think of how that applies to our discipleship ministry, right? We want to make disciples who make disciples, we want to see reproduction happening. We want to multiply disciples. And the whole goal when you have a, a man meeting with another man one-on-one -on -one or with a group or a woman meeting one-on-one -on -one or with a group is at the start to say, hey, there's going to be a time where everything you learn here, you're going to pour into somebody else. I'm not making this investment just for you. I'm making this investment for the person behind you and the person behind them and the person behind them. I think it's easiest to see that when we think of this gifting of having teachers in the church. That we remember these gifts are given to the church, not just to prop up those teachers, but to say, we want to multiply and equip the saints for the work of ministry so that there, there would be other teachers. And yes, it's discipleship, but it's also Bible study and small groups. And so I just ask you, make it personal. How do you see these gifts being used in our church? Who are the shepherds and the teachers and the evangelists and the apostles and prophets in our church? And when was the last time you thanked God for them? God, thank you for the grace given in their lives to fill this role. When was the last time that you showed any gratitude and appreciation for them? Just a little note, just a little text. Hey, I prayed for you today. Sister, I'm so glad that you're in my life and you, you exercise this teaching gift in my life. Brother, I saw the way that you shared the gospel. It was so bold. It encourages me to be that kind of evangelist. 
to show appreciation for your leaders, and then even more, make it personal, how are you looking to them to equip you? How are you saying, I want to be equipped that way? I want to be equipped for the work of ministry. I am ready to be equipped for the work of ministry because what we'll see here as this passage comes to an end is all of it has to happen as we grow up together. We're all growing up together. A continuation from chapter four, one through six, we are striving together for unity. We're walking worthy together. And then because of the grace given to us, we can grow up together into the things that God is calling us to do. Lastly, if you're taking notes, write this down. Praise God for gifts given to church members. This is actually not my last point. Buckle up, church. I talked about church leaders. Now let's talk about church members briefly, all right? We need to understand that collectively the saints are being equipped for ministry. And we recognize the importance of the saints engaging in ministry. This is why oftentimes um, you've seen us present new members. They come uh, and we say, hey, these people are in our membership process and we just want to pray for them, come meet them, get to know who they are. More often than not, when I pray for that, that person individually or for that couple or for that family, I will say something like this. God, thank you so much that you have brought this specific person here with specific gifts to be used in the context of this local church. That's a prayer I pray and I mean it. Because I, I fully believe that God wouldn't bring them here with their gifting if he didn't desire to use them in this church and in this community. Right? There are church members that are given specific gifts that need to be used that help us all grow together. Now, there are all kinds of spiritual gift, gift assessments online. Some are amazing. Some take a little bit of liberty to say things that aren't actually listed in the Bible as spiritual gifts. I would say avoid those, all right? And look at list in the scriptures. I'm giving you an example right here in Romans chapter 12, five through eight. Look at lists given in the scriptures that specifically say, if you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit might better equip you to walk in this gifting because it's not only taking something that you like or you're gifted at and making it better, but maybe giving you something you wouldn't have had before you were a Christian. Here's the list. Chapter 12, verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion with our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So just looking at those seven gifts, do you know which one you're gifted in? And are you exercising that? And are, are, are you being encouraged by your other church members? I just praise God for the way that I see you using that gift. That's how we grow up together. So recognize the gifts. There are gifts given to church leaders and gifts given to church members. How are you walking out those gifts? Lastly now, let's grow towards the goal together. Right? So we praise God for the grace given. We recognize the gifts. And, and lastly, we grow towards the goal together. Look at verse 13 through 16 with me one more time. All the saints are being equipped for the work of ministry. Verse 12, verse 13 says this, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are all growing together in the likeness of Christ. You know what that means, church? We need each other. We can't do it alone. There's no Han Solos in Christian community. Different people are gifted different ways, and we need to engage collectively. We grow together. I love what uh, one author, his name's Paul Tripp, he says this in a commentary about how we uh, exercise these things in, in a church family. He says, your life is much bigger than a good job and an understanding spouse and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you're part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue until after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be a part of that. Right? This is where we understand that this, this being conformed to the image of Christ and this sanctification and growing together into Christ who is our head, it's not something that we do alone. It's something that we do together. So we grow towards the goal together. There's an expectation of growth for every Christian But I want you to see something else. The rate of growth is important. And I want to show you this. Andrew, you volunteered to come on up. This is your chance, buddy. I want to show you this to say that if I'm not growing, I can be stunting us as a church. Come right right up here, bud. If you're not growing, growing up, it's Christ who is your head. You can be stunting us, the church, And so I know it's going to look silly, but I ask Andrew here to fold his hands behind his back. And just imagine, how old are you, buddy? You're eight years old? Seven. Seven years old, all right? Uh, Part of the Neal family that dedicated themselves in front of our church family. Imagine if this seven-year-old boy all of a sudden had arms shoot out like this of a 40-year-old man. (laughs) How you doing, bud? Doing all right? Right? This looks weird. You know why this looks weird? Because a seven-year-old should have seven-year-old arms, not 40-year-old arms, okay? There's something really important that as he grows from seven to 17 to 27, that he grows in proportion, right? That he grows together at a a rate that makes sense. Hey, high five, buddy. Good job. What does this mean, church? It just means this. That if you're part of this church family and you see everyone else around you growing and you're not growing at a similar rate. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. Man, I'm not perfect. I take two steps forward and three steps back sometimes. But if you're failing to grow with us, you're stunting us. If you're growing faster than everybody else, you should be the one saying, come on, we got to be in this together. You don't need to have 40-year-old arms on a seven-year-old boy's body. There's something really unique in this passage, not just that there's an expectation of growth, 
but that there's a rate of growth, that all parts of the body are working properly, growing properly. Yes, we have individual walks with the Lord, but we walk with the Lord together as a church family. This really emphasizes the importance of us as a family, of us really needing to know each other and be involved in each other's lives. Verse 16 says, when each part works properly, that comes into play here. We all should be growing together. We all should be working properly together. And listen, there's certainly other passages in the New Testament. One another passages about bearing one another's burdens. There's seasons, there's ebbs and flows. There's the roller coaster. Man, I've been on the roller coaster. But generally speaking as a church, we should be growing together, which means we as a church need to be committed collectively to our spiritual growth. Collectively, we commit ourselves. There is no one sitting on the sidelines of sanctification. If you're looking to write that down, that's maybe the one thing that I'd say again. There is no one sitting on the sidelines of sanctification. They were all in this together, and we understand the importance and the priority of making sure that our personal growth affects our collective growth. So we grow towards the goal together. You can write down 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18, that classic passage that says, look, we need each other, right? The, the nose needs the ear, all those things. Write that down and read that. But I want to give you three very specific areas of growth. This passage gives us three areas. One, unity of faith. And so we have a common faith in Christ. The apostles and prophets, the New Testament church was growing, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayers. That's Acts 2, 42. We have a common faith. Jesus saves. So we're unified under the banner of the gospel. Jesus is our king. Jesus saves. We grow under that unity. Number two, knowledge of the son. That we're continuing to grow more and more and more in the knowledge of who Christ is. I love this picture of mature manhood, which is in our passage, but it's also in Colossians 1. Listen to this. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and he put all things, in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the best. He is preeminent. Why? For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is one of the great Christocentric passages in the New Testament. And right after that, Paul comes in and he says in verse 28, this is how we grow in the knowledge of him. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the goal, that we grow in our knowledge of the Son. And so I'm asking you, how are you growing in your knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? I prayed that at the beginning of this sermon, that we would have such an appreciation for the gospel, that our view of what Jesus has done for us would grow and grow and grow. So we're striving in growth with unity of faith and knowledge of our Son, and then lastly, this idea of full maturity, 
full maturity, and I read that ahead, but we want to see everyone, all of us as a church family, presented mature in Christ. It's that process. Like I said, it's not always perfect. Sometimes it is three steps forward and two steps back. Sometimes there is this bit of roller coaster, but that's part of the refining process. So my question is, are you committed to the process? Are you committed? Because here's the threat, and it's right here in this text. The threat is, if we collectively as a church family are not committed to this kind of spiritual growth, there are forces of evil that are against us. There is a temptation to be tossed to and fro by the waves. There are deceitful schemes, craftiness, human cunning. It's all right here in the passage. So what do we need to do? We need to speak the truth in love and grow towards the goal of Christ-likeness together, making him the head because he is the chief shepherd. I just want to charge you as the lead pastor of this church, don't sit on the sidelines. A beautiful way for you to respond here at the end of this sermon is to come up Pray with a pastor or ministry staff. Come get on your knees and say, Lord, I'm committed. I want to grow up in every way, not just individually, but collectively in my small group with discipleship, with my brothers and sisters in my church family. I want to grow together into Christ-likeness. Help me to see where I need to grow. That would be a beautiful way to respond. I'm also very aware that there may be someone in here that's not a Christian And I say, grow up into Jesus, who is the head of the church. And you're like, I don't know what that means. Let me just take you to a chapter in the Gospel of John, talking about Jesus being the chief shepherd. By the way, Jesus was the one that gave these gifts to men. Listen to some of the language that he's described here. Chapter 10, verse 3. Jesus, who has a relationship with the flock. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Or in verse four, his leadership continues. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verses seven through 10 talk about Jesus protecting the flock. But verses 11 through 13 talk about Jesus giving his life, laying down his life for the flock. Listen to this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he does not own the sheep. He sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. If you don't know Jesus like that, Today would be a good day to turn from sin and trust in him. Today would be a good day to say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I want you to be my savior. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to change me from the inside out. And I want to get involved a place like this church and grow together with them. But the first step is surrendering your life to Jesus. Would you do that? Maybe you're hearing with new ears or seeing with new eyes this hope of the gospel. That would be a beautiful way for you to respond.